Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Thad. What are we called again? Beneath the screen of the Ultra Critics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want you to know of all the Macho Man Randy Savage impressions I've heard, that wasn't half bad, but it doesn't hold Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, Eric's is always better. I, I, I'll, I'll talk to that. <laughs> all right. Welcome to another episode, and today we're going to be talking about we're going to be talking about a couple of things, but mostly we're going to be talking about schlock. Woo! And uh, really, we're talking about schlock because I saw Justice League. Thad saw Justice League. I saw it three times because I had a fucking ball. Yeah, this, this, by the way, this podcast is not about Justice League. That's just what got the ball rolling. <laughs> as, as, as loyal readers of Jeremiah's reviews will note, the opening lines compared it to two seminal cinema classics. Uh, Roadhouse and Highlander, <laughs> and I and I still I still argue that like yeah no neither one of those are really technically good movies but they're amazing and just no, I I isn't... knew exactly what to expect when you when you you know when I when you told me that and you were one hundred percent right right like I come out and I hear everyone complaining about it I was like what it was really fun what did you guys come like yeah, like it it, it did like, the the uh, okay. No more about Justice League. This is our jumping off point. We will leave it in the dust. Aside from to say, it is one of the most fun movies, <laughs> possibly the most fun that uh, DC WB Extended Universitron has uh, spewed out into the world. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I mean, I I would put it in like. I have seen it one less time than Wonder Woman. Hmm. Mm. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I wish I could go and see movies uh, as multiple timidly as I used to. I think, right. like, Spider-Man uh, and Spider-Man 2 were sort of the peaks of that area for me right. back in the day. And I also Whoa. saw Superman Returns more times than I think any other person <laughs> in the in the world. I don't normally get to see movies that often either. So when I see mm. like when I see a movie more than once, it's because it was a conscious decision. And that might be a good. Yeah. That might be a good thing for a future topic. The 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 approaches to to multiple theatrical viewings. Right. But uh, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about schlock. We're talking about films that are bad but they're good, or they're good because they're bad. Or yeah, we should. We should figure out what we're ta- how, to, okay. how, to, how to talk about what we're talking about. <laughs> the issue we have that I see mainly is people tend to go into a movie... Like, as you watch a movie, it will become apparent to you what the movie is trying to do. Right. Trailers and... don't always... And I think this movie... Tra- the, the trailers for this movie did not tell us what to expect. Right. We, in, which we talked about on like, the last structure. podcast. Yes. <laughs> but... <laughs> Within the opening, after the opening scene of Superman, like, once Batman, that thing starts, you're like, okay, I think I understand what this movie's going to be, and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> and yeah. when you have to do a start, to, like, once the movie starts showing you what it's going to be, you have to go with it. You can't be like, well, this isn't the Citizen Kane of movies that I wanted. It's like, well, tough shit. That's not what the movie is or trying to be. Yeah, and that's... when I hear people complain about movies, a lot of times it's, this isn't a movie I wanted. I'm like, it's not about the movie you wanted, it's about the movie you got. Yeah, I feel like this is a a problem within popular media criticism that it, 
there there becomes the sort of the the highly regarded text, the ur text that is held up as like, oh, this is what things should be, and and so for film, it's like, well, it's not Citizen Kane. Right. Uh, for graphic novels, it'd be it's not Watchmen. Right. For video games, uh, a lot of times anymore, things are compared favorably or unfavorably to the to the Dark Souls or other From Software games of late. But I would go back to like, oh, it's not Ocarina of Time because right. I'm an old man and I would go to. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like the the idea that there is an exemplar right. is super weird if well, you think about all that. the things that film does or any of those other media. Not not only that, but when you watch a film and when you grade a film with any kind on any kind of scale, it is death to the movie and to the opinion itself. But when you start going, I wish it would have been this. And while that's a valid opinion, you have to give the movie its, it's staying cool. You have to like, okay, but deal with the movie you saw, not the movie you wanted to see or wish the movie had done. You can mention those things. Yeah. But it should... I think, I think it, depending on how they're deployed, those can be valid sort of uh, comparative approaches. Like, right. uh, well, uh, especially if you pick a film that does better what you see a particular movie is sort of trying to do and not getting there, I right. guess. Well, and what it is also is, so when you watch, a lot of people see maybe a movie at a theater at, say, like a, once a week or once every two weeks. Sure. The average critic sees many, many more. Yeah, the, the relationship between about... critics and movies is <laughs> different. Uh, very much critics are like John Stewart and so much that they see an aggregate of films as opposed to just one or two every, every two weeks or so. Yeah. But the vast majority of movies are just sort of okay. Yeah, if... If someone who is not either a critic or just someone who is really into following film right. uh, looks at a list of all the movies that come out in, that ha- that came out like in the year, uh, they're usually and I am this person sometimes because I as as you know I am sort of manic in my pop culture taste, so I right. shift back and forth between focusing on any number of things uh so so every now and then i'll check back in with like oh what all movies have come out this year oh my god how (laughs) how what are the i haven't even heard what it gets very it gets very traumatic well and again it's like so when you see a movie that's not good in terms of like maybe narrative construction or maybe not good in terms of how it's edited but at the same Mm. time it's still entertaining and at the same time does a very good job of killing two hours. Oh, yeah. You're like, you know what? This is better than the other movie I saw, which was technically better, but not nearly as fun and not nearly as bug nutty. <laughs> <laughs> I think bug nuttiness is, is an underrated quality in terms of film consumption. I agree. <laughs> but I yeah, thank so, I mean, Gillette every day for introducing <laughs> me to that term. <laughs> but I think, uh, I mean, part of what we're talking about here in, in trying to, to tease this out is also that idea of, like, what a cult film is. Although even then, that's not one thing. Right. Well, because uh, I just did a list on the essentials on cult films. And in making the list, we had to, like, sort of come up with a definition for ourselves what we consider cult films. And we went with largely the idea that a movie that comes out and make it either a mixed reception or a bad reception, but then as the years were on, there becomes a sort of devoted 
I wouldn't say rabid, but a devoted love for the movie. Mm. And even though the large part of people are like, yeah, we still don't like it, there's a still very large and vocal swath of people going, no, 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 this movie is beautiful. Yeah, and I mean, some of the sometimes that that sort of cult uh, attraction will then sort of bootstrap it back up into being generally highly regarded. Right. Like I think I think one of the best examples of this would be Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Because uh, it, it it tanked pretty hard. Actually, right. I guess it's tanked both times now. <laughs> <laughs> I I'll Blade tell Runner you though, so looking much, at a theater, Blade Runner was there probably about a month longer than anyone thought it was going to be because it tanked so hard. But yeah. people showed oh. up almost for every showing. Oh yeah, and it was probably the same people. Like no, I, no, no, like, I would have these were different people. I would have seen were... it more time. I would have seen the new one more times in theaters if I had had money and time. Like right. I, I'm that guy. But yeah, like the, there's that sort of. I feel like there is a sort of distinction between a cult movie and a cult classic. Right. I think is usually how I think of that. Whereas, whereas there are also just sort of cult movies that they they don't really get redeemed, but they still have a very strong fan base. Right. Uh, in the in the gutters, <laughs> and well, I'm I'm a member of many fan bases like that. <laughs> and well, what good schlock is is basically like sometimes to bring up a movie that we talked about endlessly, Batman v Superman. Oh yes, oh. we talked about how there is even though it doesn't work, there is a vision there that we can see. We can understand hmm. the attempt. It, and sometimes, it couldn't have fallen nearly as far as it did if it hadn't had at least some manner of lofty ambition. Right. And great schlock is sometimes either a sort of richness of intent that falls just short, or an hmm. almost lack of intent, and yet somehow accidentally still works, like <laughs> Justice League does. Because Justice right. League isn't trying to be about anything, and in some ways manages to be about what Batman v Superman wanted to be in better mm. ways than Batman v Superman. Well, Justice League is is a Frankenstein monster. If uh, Frankenstein's monster was uh, stitched together by multiple people who weren't working together and had <laughs> radically different ideas and yet of what they the wanted, the movie still feels like a single movie. <laughs> it does. That's yeah. Um... There's uh, there there is a certain special something there, uh, right? But like, there is a certain like when you watch a movie, like it, great schlock. Okay, Clue is a perfect example. Oh, oh! It takes a certain amount of gutso to be like, you know what? I'm going to give this movie five endings, and yeah. each theater will play a different ending. So you'll have to go see this movie at least five different times in five different places. To get the right and to get the five different endings, or even, and I'm not sure how I feel about the one I'm about to put forward, but I also feel kind of like Ridley Scott's Legend. Oh no, is... that's a cult classic. I'll tell you that. Yeah, right now. but but that's the thing. I was I was trying to think of one that maybe wasn't redeemed as much because I feel like Legend. Like <laughs> I'm a little blinded by how much I want to love that movie. <laughs> well, okay, this is a thing. Also, like camp sort of go, goes into this. With like, oh, absolutely. What, there's a sort of like we have this bizarre notion that movies are supposed to be great and yeah. movies are so rarely great there's a great <laughs> Pauline Kale quote I posted on one of my on my Twitter a while back like movies are so rarely great that when we don't appreciate when they're great trash we lose something <laughs> ooh I like that that's right, good and, 
Because I do appreciate when a movie is bad, but it's so wonderfully bad. Mm. <laughs> because if it's wonderfully bad, then something happened. Like, there was an attempt by someone to do something that's a little bit out of the norm. Yeah. Uh, but And I think that... And, and this is where, like, I, I want to bring in one distinction that I, I think I've made before. Uh, when, I think we, maybe when we were talking about how to, uh, like, approaches to watching movies. Right. But... There is a kind of cult movie that I don't like and I want to have nothing to do with. Okay. And it's the the exemplar of it is uh, Tommy Wiseau's The Room. Right. Which exactly. I and I'm sure I, uh, I will get all sorts of flack for this, but I have never seen The Room and I don't want to. I've never because... seen The Room entirely. I've only seen uh, like reviews of it that sort of like take a large swath. Yeah. Of I mean, I've seen snippets of it because I I have a. Uh, a coaxial cable attached <laughs> to the base of my skull, and I just exist partially on the internet all the time. But, like, the fandom for The Room or films that uh, attain a certain kind of trash prestige in the in the manner of The Room feels really cruel. Like, it the does. joke is at Tommy Wiseau's expense. And that's why I'm also, re- like, a little bit of a tangent, but I'm also really ambivalent about the disaster artist. Right, I feel like... like it's got an interesting cast, and I will probably still not watch it. Like, it just, it, it feels uncomfortable. It feels I, mean and needlessly cruel. I feel like we're laughing at Tommy Wiseau. And yeah. Tommy Wiseau clearly is a different person. <laughs> sure. Than most I mean, people. Like, like he... he failed at making a kind of banal, like, thriller drama movie in a flashy way, and and the only reason anyone cares is because they they want to make fun of him. And right. I just, I can never get on board. And I, I it may just be a myth that maybe I'm overreading it, I don't know, but I just, it's not, that's not the kind of cult movie I can get into. I want to get into a cult movie that's like a in a B-movie tradition kind of way that, like, that wants to be exactly where it is, or maybe even it wants to reach higher than it than it is sort of capable of, and it knows that, but it goes for it anyway. It feels like, like with the with the room, it is the opposite of Tim Burton's love of Ed Wood, <laughs> because Ed yes. Wood is by no means a decent filmmaker. But what no. Tim Burton sees in Ed Wood, and indeed brought out in the movie, the biopic Ed Wood is. Yeah. His endearing optimism in filmmaking and the sort of yeah, I don't, I don't joy like... that he brings to it. He was yeah, never the... looking down at the Edward movies. He was like, these yeah, that things is the are... perfect. That is the perfect juxtaposition. Because, yeah, we're not laughing at Edward. Right. Like, I've... I, I've I've seen Edward movies, or I've seen Edward, and at no point did I ever feel like the joke was on him. Right. It is, I think, it's a weird sort of thing of... Tommy Wiseau looks weird, he has a funny voice, and the movie is awful. Isn't this funny in a meta sense? It's like, yeah. uh, the joke is, it's so bad, it's funny, but the apple is bad, but the apple is trying to say something, and it's a musical, and it's bad, but it's funny and beautiful at the same time, because you're like, oh my god, and this is... Yeah. This, the, it's like, I'm not laughing at the apple, I'm laughing because the apple is sort of like, What's going on? No yeah, one else it's... would have thought to make a movie about the future in 1995, just 15 years <laughs> into the future when the Apple was made, and talk about how reality has been drastically changed by their version of reality American tele- reality television via American Idol. Yeah. 
I yeah. I, I don't know. Like it's it, I'll I'll get off this now, but because it is something I, I feel like I harp about probably too much. But it just it constantly makes me uncomfortable that there there is a this sort of approach to culture that puts that, that approaches the room the in on the surface level anyway the same way that people approach Rocky Horror, right. except that Rocky Horror it's clearly a celebration, right? And with the room. They seem to be celebrating, but I don't feel like they're celebrating anything good. Well, here's the thing, and I, I've said this privately to my wife, Coy. I said, you know, Justice League feels like, to me, the Rocky Horror Picture Show of comic book movies. Oh, oh, oh. I don't <laughs> like, know. I, I, can see... I, think that's, I think that might be a step too far for me. Like that, I don't think it hits that height. Well, because <laughs> there are things about it that are awful, and yet there are things about it that are just... The things that are awful are chiming. Yeah. <laughs> like, the special effect with Henry Cavill's lip is horrifying. And at the awesome. same time, they're like, that's, that's sort of beautiful. I've never seen a special effect in a $300 million movie that bad. <laughs> and, and they don't even try. <laughs> and yeah, like, I it's... See, it's one of the things where I can see people throwing popcorn at the screen, but like in a sort of jovial way, people yeah. showing up in costume, quoting along because some of the dialogue is... <laughs> Really corny. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I've only seen it the once. I, I will. Re- I know I'll see it again a lot at home, but I don't know if I'll see it in theaters <laughs> again. Who knows? But let's let's move ahead though, because I feel like we've staked out a, a general sort of this right. is this is what we're talking about with this. So I, and so, what better way to to flesh this out further than talk about our favorite bad movies? <laughs> well, well, I have a lot of favorite bad movies. Yeah. One of my personal favorites we brought up when talking about Gal Gadot's particular way of delivering a line is oh. Arnold Schwarzenegger's Commando. Uh, I, I would not have picked Commando, but I my my top Schwarzenegger trash movie is always The Running Man. Running Man forever and always. But Commando <laughs> is written by comic book legend Jeff Loeb. That's true. I, I you you mentioned that the last time you brought it up, and I forget every time. <laughs> Oh, it's trash day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, if you haven't seen Commando, you should see Commando. Like, go to any, <laughs> go to any used movie store, and you will find Commando. <laughs> <laughs> Commando is just sort of like there are moments like like when you look at Commando, there are moments sort of like but in the background. They just slowly grow more and more absurd. Like, the main henchman's clothing goes from <laughs> just basic sort of, like, B-budget, I'm a Marine, ex-Marine outfits into slowly devolving into stereotypical 1980s idea of what BDSM wear is. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. And there's no explanation. It's just one moment he's wearing this. He comes in in the next scene, and now he's wearing a mesh top. Why? Why is he wearing a mesh top? I don't. I get at one point uh, in time that's what Macho Men thought Macho meant. Oh, uh, I. Yeah. Oh God. And also, folks, there was a time. There was a beautiful time, and in, in movies in which the good guy would kill the bad guy, and then. Take the moment of execution, the the verb of execution, and use it as a pun. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, like, say if he kills someone by electrocuting them, he would say, shocking. Uh-huh. Because that's how class we used to be. Murder yeah. was funny. Uh, murder, murder one-liners are are definitely something that seems to have slid uh, <laughs> slid off the back of uh, of action movies in the service of. And I I don't. You should be able to hear the air quotes because of how hard I'm doing them. But in service of realism, <laughs> because that's totally what action movies that are made now are. They are realistic. Uh, anyway, um, I, I had a lot of trouble thinking about how I would make a list because I kept coming back to like directors. Right. Because for me, oh, it's it's I uh, I had to pick a Sam Raimi movie for the top of my list. Right. I had to, and so it's Dark Man. <laughs> I classic. I love Dark Man so much, uh, and I love Dark Man Three, which is like a direct to video. Uh, sequel with different, with completely different actors. Now, uh, Darkman, if I remember correctly, Liam Neeson, right? Yes. Liam Neeson before he was Liam Neeson. <laughs> yeah, this was this was pre uh, Liam Neeson Renaissance when he was just an actor who worked for a living. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it is, it's Sam Raimi trying to take like pulp detective. Uh, stories and monster movies and smash them together because he's clearly going for some sort of like invisible man slash phantom of the opera thing with dark man but also the shadow right and it's the best well sam raimi i've always loved because even in his like mainstream work there'll always be a moment where he'll just stop and go for schlock of some kind. In Spider-Man 2, there's that wonderful moment with the uh, Doc Ock's is the hosp- arms. Is it the hospital scene? In the hospital. <laughs> Where he does the Sam Raimiest thing possible, and he uses Dr. Octopus's arms to have four Raimi chase cams going at once. <laughs> and then there's the great, no! And then, like, someone lifts up the medical chainsaw in the surgery <laughs> suite, and it's just, ugh. Oh. Yeah, yeah, he remembers where he came from. That's... <laughs> well, like, um, a perfect example of sometimes great schlock is a movie that has no idea what it's doing. And yet, <laughs> that's part of the charm. Um, a perfect example would be Collateral Beauty. Okay, I, do, I, I still have not seen Collateral Beauty. Collateral um... Beauty is one of those movies that rise the line of don't see it. But you totally have to see it. We're going to take uh, I'm a actually, moment. I'm, I'm cheating by looking at your list here uh, while we're talking. Uh, because you wrote yours down and I didn't. But I, I noticed you also put Book of Henry on your list. Right. And it, I've heard almost exactly the same sort of things you're saying about Collateral Beauty about Book of Henry also. Book of Henry well, is <laughs> it's total camp. And I don't think... Trevorrow was trying to do what the movie did, but there's a sort of charm to it that as I get further and further away from it, I'm just like, I'm glad I saw it, and I hope one day other people see it too. But Collateral Beauty, I'm going to do, we're going to spoil Collateral Beauty. We're going to put all the cards on the table for Collateral Beauty, because it is just so utterly fucking bananas. 
Well, you know me, I, I care not a lick for spoilers, but I right. suppose if anyone's listening hasn't seen Collateral Beauty, pause for exactly 13 seconds, and I'm sure that will be all the time we... I don't know. Uh, no, no, oh, no, wait, they, if they long. pause, then Jeremiah this will just say... Things a thing. How does time work? I forget. The basic premise of Collateral Beauty is Will Smith loses his daughter to brain cancer. And so he emotionally shuts down. Understandable. Hmm. Now, his friends slash co-workers at the advertising firm that he works at have been trying to bring him, Will Smith's character, out of the shell because he has been showing up to work, but he hasn't done anything. And the whole, his role in the firm is the face of the firm. His job is to bring in the clients. His job is to maintain the relationship with the clients. And I'd buy that. Like I, I would, I would, I would maintain a relationship with Will Smith. That seems not, fair. Right. A person, everything up to this point makes sense. Uh-oh. Now, where's the turn? There are several turns, and you I, the number one thing I will be saying in this conversation is, I'm not done. So, <laughs> all right, the I'm first braced. turn <laughs> comes from the fact of okay. It is clear that after multiple attempts of trying to bring him out of his shell, multiple attempts to get him help, that he does not want help. He does not want to quit, but they need him to move because they cannot move on any projects until they get rid of him because none of the clients want to do business with them as long as Will Smith's character is there because they will only talk to him. Mm. So they either need a new liaison or they need to get rid of him. But the problem is he owns a majority share. Hmm. So they have enough clout to get rid of him, but they don't have enough clout to get rid of him without the board of directors approval. Make sense? Sounds like business logic. Sure, I'm with you right. so far. So what they have to do is convince the board that Will Smith is insane so they can oust him. Oh no, so we have a caper now. We have right. to Right, but these are his friends by the way. Oh god. So okay. it is upon just complete serendipity that they realize that they stumble upon a troop of actors. And oh, no. after hiring a sorry, let me back up. After hiring a private investigator to look into Will Smith so they can <laughs> show that he's insane. They realize Step that one. We're, Will Smith's character has been writing letters to the abstract ideas of time, love, and death. Okay. Okay. And so they, after stumbling upon a troop of actors, Helen Mirren, uh, Kate Beckinsale, I believe. No, not Kate Beckinsale. Keira Knightley. And um, Jacob Lattimore. They hire them to play the avatars of time, love, and death. So they can... Film them interacting with Will Smith, and then digitally erase them on the footage, and then show them that footage to the board to show that clearly Will Smith is insane. Okay. These are his friends, by the way. Right. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm not completely alienated. This sounds like something we might do. <laughs> I'm not done. Okay. There is at one point a woman that Will Smith meets. And he he walks into a group therapy session, and the woman is running the group therapy session. Mm-hmm. And 
he doesn't know her. But she talks to him in a way that he actually responds to. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the film, they develop a relationship. At some point, towards the near end of the film, she invites him home. And as he goes inside the house, he sees pictures of his daughter. Uh... This strange woman that he has a special connection to is in fact his fucking wife. That he has, in his depression, completely blocked from his memory. What? Now, mind you, at this other time, his friends are actively trying to fabricate. They're, they're trying a, to. In, they're they're inventing a pretend caper to make him look crazy. But if they knew him at all, they would know clearly that he doesn't recognize his own wife, and that would be enough to show anyone that maybe he should be removed. Okay. Okay, I'm not done. Of course not. So, Michael Pena is dying. Good thing he knows Helen Mirren, who is playing Death. And so basically, they played the avatars, and each one of the actual people is suffering from something that the a- people playing the avatars can help. They are paying them, if I remember correctly, $60,000. So each one is getting like 15000 if I remember correctly. So they are paying an extreme amount of money for this. That's, that's, that's more money than I have. Right. Anyhow, as it turns out, Michael Pena is dying. And it's then that we start to realize that Helen Mirren is, in fact, actually dead. Oh, of course. And we know this because when Will Smith's wife talks about when the daughter died, we get a flashback, and the stranger she talked to was Helen Mirren. Okay. It gets better. None of these are actually actors. These are all actually avatars of the yeah, abstract of concepts of life, de- sure. of love, sure. death, and <laughs> yeah, as as happens, time. you know. But here's the beautiful thing: there is a scene towards mm-hmm. the end in which Kate Winslet goes to the bad part of town to Jacob Lattimore, who is the avatar of time, to deliver the money. To so which they, she takes, I mean, they, and she says, this is the bad part of town. I go, yeah, but I figured you needed to see this. They basically robbed them of 60. Th- just, this is a movie. This is the movie. <laughs> and at no point in time does it realize it's bonkers, but clearly it is bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what to think about any of this. It is schluck. <laughs> And yet, it's not the schlock that I could recommend, but at the same time, it is a schlock that you have to see to truly appreciate the bonkersness of it. Wow. Now, Commando is a different I... type of schlock. It is fun. It is, like, I think it understands what it is, but then you have schlock like Collateral Beauty where you just sit there like, I'm in awe. I don't understand how anyone... People got together. They made decisions about this. So so it's it's the kind of thing that you imagine, like, the, the David Tennant 10th Doctor just watching and saying, what, with increasingly high pitch until it is no longer <laughs> able to be heard by human beings. Yes. And I, I feel like this is, like, I don't, I don't list it as something I recommend, but I feel like this goes into part of the parameters of what should schlock be. Yeah, like, I don't. I don't have anything that can step to that. That is. 
That is something else. Because oh, while man. all that but, uh, is going on, it's not done in an entertaining enough manner to where you're like, oh, I gotta see this again. <laughs> and I think that's fair. I mean, I right. think that's that's a pretty decent schlock spectrum. Right. Uh, from the things that are sort of, they know what they are and what they're doing, and they're, they themselves are also having fun with it, to the ones that are also like, how? Right, because in all and of some- this... There's the hmm. basic idea of this goes back to people thinking like, well, the movie isn't great. I'm like, well, is the movie trying to be great? Collateral Beauty's trying to be great, hmm. and the failure in that is like the uh, it's the fact that you guys thought this was. It wasn't so much you flew too close to the sun; it's the fact that you flew towards Jupiter and thought you were heading towards the sun. <laughs> You were you were very convincing to yourself in regard to whether or not that was the sun. No, no, it's totally the sun. It's fine. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> and like that's that that is one of the things where it's like I I can see some some like shades of that in why people like the room, but I feel like with your collateral beauty thing, it's it's not about like the creators, and so it gets a buy for me. Like I understand this because it's. It's impressively strange and baffling, and it doesn't have anything to do with an individual person right. being mocked. Like that's that's yeah, no, sort this of is the all like to me. This, people got together and they, this was a conscious decision. And the fact that people, talented people, got together and this is what they consciously decided on, <laughs> like it doesn't have the benefit of like a bunch of drama and rumors swirling around it. No, no, no. From all accounts, this was a relatively drama-free movie. Yeah. And I feel like, I don't know, one of my other ones that I would definitely want to mention, uh, it's not really a one because I, I kept getting hung up on directors, uh, Don Coscarelli. <laughs> okay. Because if you, if you really, just anything probably, one of the Phantasm, like if you pick a Phantasm movie and watch it, you will have seen schlock. Like that's, <laughs> but I mean, that's one of those things I feel like going too much in the horror direction does make it a little too easy because right. horror has accepted schlock. Horror celebrates schlock. Like, you have horror that is really self-serious sometimes, but you also have plenty of horror. A beating heart, lifeblood of horror that knows that it's schlock and loves it. And and their fans love it, too. And I think that this is... Uh, we, we've come around to this point a few times in previous podcasts, and it's just the fact that, like, the mainstream idea of being, like, a, an impressive, important movie is so overwhelming to the general, like, approach to movies that, that there isn't that for regular film going. Like, everything wants to be big and impressive and very right. few things that well, aren't tied to a specific genre, like, say, horror or sci-fi, are willing to embrace, like, the schlocky potential. Well, and it's one of the things where so many people come out angry at a movie. Like, I find the people who love Justice League... Mm-hmm. aren't arguing that it's a great movie. They're arguing that it's a fun movie. And people are like, but this is bad, and this is bad. And we're like, yeah, it is. But that ties into kind of why we love it. Whereas, <laughs> right, say, so um, people who love Batman vs. Superman, there's an anger and a bitterness to the argument. And well, that's because, that's because they are broken people. Right. <laughs> but, like, there's this sort of, like, you can love a movie and understand how other people don't like it. Right. And I think like I, I've tried. Uh, I generally don't try, but but uh, I I can't stop people from loving Batman versus Superman. Right. If they get genuine enjoyment out of it, 
good on you. There's little enough of that in the world. Well, like, I was talking to someone, and I was like, I love Justice League. I like Justice League, and I enjoy it so much because it's just great trash. Because there's so, there's already so much trash. And I'm like, yes, but there's not very many, there's not a lot of great trash. <laughs> there's not much good trash, though. Right. And it's one of the things where, like, I'm thinking people, like, this desire, this sort of misbegotten idea of artistic purity. Oh, yeah. This idea of, like, uh, uh, it must make a statement, it must say something. I'm like, yes, I understand that desire to see an important movie. But, you, you know what, sometimes you just want to you want to kill two hours in the dark. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of it comes to, to a, a sort of a misread of what we mean when we say something is trash. Right. Sometimes we mean it is just trash and we don't think it has any value to it. Right. But we also use that as a positive descriptor. By we, I mean specifically you and I. Right. We use that as a positive descriptor of things. Like, I like a good trash movie. Just something <laughs> that is fun and bad, but enjoyable. Like, I, I still like... Seen, to me, oh. <laughs> I have seen Tango and Cash more times. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not a good movie. It is such a bad movie that... I've seen it numerous times, and I have trouble remembering what the movie is about. Yeah. Because it just sort of floats through the mind like vapor. Yeah, it is It is the definition of a popcorn movie. I feel like that is, I feel like that's a term that has shifted meaning in a weird way. Right. And uh, also, sometimes, like, okay, when I mention Highlander, <laughs> understand that Highlander opens with a text crawl. Cuts to a, a Queen song, which then cuts to an overhead shot of a WWE wrestling match, and then nope. sort of swirls down the Duncan McLeod, staring gloomily at the wrestling match, and then him getting up inexplicably to head He's, to the parking he, garage to do a series of back backflips into a fight. Yes. And, By the way... What is it with Queen soundtracks and trash movies? Because if Flash Gordon is not on your t- beloved trash movie <laughs> list, I don't know what to do with you. That is part of the joy, also, of a good trash movie are performances that come out of a bizarre, misbegotten place of this needed to be done. Yeah, I Fancy think. Fancy Brown's portrayal of the. <laughs> in Highlander and Brian Blessed's. Leader of the Hawkmen. <laughs> like, these are betrayals that are not... You don't look at these when you're taking an acting class, but you should because they are the definition oh. of leaning into the material. <laughs> Clancy Brown can do anything. Like, <laughs> I... I don't talk about how much I love Clancy Brown often enough, considering <laughs> that he has at some point or other been a part of every single thing I have ever loved. When he shows uh, like, up in Lovage, my heart soared. <laughs> oh, like he's he's of course in the greatest film of all time, which is the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the Eighth Dimension. But also, he was Lex Luthor in the animated Superman <laughs> cartoon, and he was like, and also he showed up in in Daredevil, and also in the the Punisher of late as like. Frank Castle's no nonsense, whatever. He was in Shawshank. He was Mr. Krabs in SpongeBob. Clancy, you love Clancy Brown, even if you don't know you love Clancy Brown. Well, and also, great schlock, like great art, oftentimes is beloved because there is a daring and a sort of heedlessness to how they're telling the story. 
Our yes. perfect example is Buckaroo Banzai. Mm-hmm. Rarely has an origin story given so little shits about whether or not the audience can follow along. <laughs> there, there is no origin story in Buckaroo Banzai. It's the first movie. It, it is hits not the ground running and doesn't even bother with exposition. It is. It is. It is stru- like it. It does the pulp novel thing. It na- it reminds you of who everyone is as it goes along, but doesn't do it too egregiously because, well, I mean, there's clearly a series of these novels, <laughs> and so much like in the way that Yeshua Ozu gradually sort of did away with fadeaways and um, moving cameras. Well, he kept a moving camera. That's a bit of a lie. But the whole idea of fade outs and stuff like that. He basically just went boiled down the language of cinema to this essence and yeah. did away with a lot of sort of fancy editing. But in many ways, Schlock does exactly the same thing in terms of like, you know what? It adheres to his own idiosyncratic rhythms. And the fact that it is so intensely its own thing, you kind of like, you, you want to protect it. You want to glom onto it because so much of film is sort of rote and the mediocrity comes from the fact that it behaves like every other film you see. And part yeah. of the charm with Justice League is it is unlike anything. <laughs> the Frankenstein nature lends it its charm because it doesn't care what the last scene is. It has now moved on to the next scene. And oh yes, we will do a scene in which we literally do... A grave robbing scene of Superman. Yeah, we're we're gonna li- we're gonna stand in a graveyard with shovels. Let's do this. We are, it, it will be the dead of night. They will literally oh. be digging into. We will have the moment where they hit the coffin with the shovel. They they have a treasure oh. trove of possibilities from the return of Superman. But realizing all of that, none of that could be more bonkers than let's just rob his grave. And let us let us sneak into Star Labs and let us have the only person in and out in disguise be Barry Allen, feasibly the only one who could switch in and out fast enough and have everyone else not even bother changing out of their outfits. Batman will be dressed as Batman. Aquaman will still just be walking around in his Aquaman armor. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it's like. It is. Uh, I, I I feel like yeah, it's it's. I think I think even just sand campiness, like being right. it, like there is that quality to it. And there I feel is like especially the laziness of the thought of you know what, fuck it, let's just do this thing. Uh, <laughs> it is yeah. the essence of fuck it, let's do it live. <laughs> it is, and we all appreciate that. <laughs> or at least we, or at least you and I do. I, I actually am not a hundred percent sure I understand anyone else. And they're weird. Yeah, tastes. I know. Like I hear people complain, like someone like, well, at least so and so is about something. Like, yeah, but you know what? It's boring and it's a slog and it's three hours of my life that I'm never getting back. I'd re- Yeah, you can you can be about something and have like over the top <laughs> style. I would suggest watching Luke Cage, which is like <laughs> both black exploitation and a real exploration of a variety of what black culture means in America, and it's like pulp, like sort of detective, but not exactly. And he's invulnerable. Just yeah, Luke Cage well, is one of my favorite examples of that. I wouldn't call it schlock, but it has schlock roots. Well, here's the thing about Luke Cage because not only does it have a variety of 
black cultural moments. It has a variety of black viewpoints. Yeah. It has a variety of black lives. It is not just a particular viewpoint. There are multiple class and like it's, morality what, what, issues. That's just one of the things that's embarrassingly staggering about it is something that is that, that is clearly targeted to a mainstream audience. It's a Marvel Netflix thing. You cannot get more we want everybody to watch this than that. Right. But most most you know general audience things are populated largely by let's say the mel- melaninly challenge <laughs> and we're just like uh it's not something that we're used to seeing right. and it's sad but they they lean into that in that series and it's right. so great like it's it's one of those things where the the way we use diversity in talking about media is loaded to mean one particular thing, but it is full of a diversity of blackness that we don't often it see. It is! And you know what? Not to hype on it, <sighs> but Justice League in its own weird way is pretty effortlessly diverse. Yeah! Um, <laughs> that is weird. <laughs> um, it's just, it's, it staggers me like the amount of lack of fun people seem to have with movies. <laughs> I I am baffled. I was like, you know what? It's okay to, like... Perfect example. A movie can be about something and still be fun, i.e. Thor Ragnarok. God, yes! A movie can be which, uh, not which, about way, something and still be fun, Clan- i.e. Hmm? I was going to say, which also, by the way, has Clancy Brown in it. It does. And a movie can be fun and not about something and be like Justice League. At the same time, Justice League on the surface, isn't about anything, but in a weird way, it is by accident, and sometimes those are the most interesting. <laughs> it accidentally became about what these superheroes actually represent, in contrast to what Batman vs. Superman was about, which is about the heroes are terrible. Right, and what's interesting also is there's a, there's a mood to Justice League that I think encapsulates the sort of general malaise that I'm, we as a country are feeling right now. The idea yeah. that it doesn't feel like justice exists anymore. The idea yeah. that just being decent seems to be an effort. And this was Which a movie is, that is goes, usually, yeah, like, it feels like that, but doesn't mean you give up. Yeah. Uh, the fa- like, Yeah, not, not sort of conceding to that. It's, oh, yeah, no, w- absolutely the world is bad. But <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do Superman stuff, though. That's, that's my deal. I'm Superman. <laughs> Well, and also, I think because we have so much access to information now, there's this thing where we follow drama, behind-the-scenes drama, and Absolutely. we let that influence the movie. Well, I was I was actually just talking about this with someone a little while ago. Um, I think one of the things that's, that's, to me, kind of sad about, like, the big tentpole blockbuster culture, for example... Is none of like the, the the example I was using was uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens and and the the forthcoming next one, right. uh, the the Last Jedi. Is they don't get to be movies, right? They're they're being autopsied before they're even on the table. They're being right. vivisected in real time. And like when when the first Star Wars trilogy came out, for better or worse, like we didn't have that access to information, and we just kind of like well, I later on I would see them in home media, but we'll say people generally. Right. Uh, would experience them and like talk about them with friend groups and stuff, but you you didn't have the opportunity to dissect them and draw right. party lines and whatever else. It, it was a movie. 
Like, and behind-the-scenes drama should almost never really be discussed from a critic while discussing the movie. Only in a it, sense that, like, uh, for example, like I did in my Justice League review, like, look, there were two directors, but it doesn't feel like that. And I'm just going to attribute all this to Zack Snyder because I'm not going to play the game of who's who. Yeah, that's that's an, that, that's an obnoxious game. And Nor is we'll, it fair we'll go, to anyone who worked on the movie. Like, we'll, we'll go with the name that's on the door because that's why you put a name on the door. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, there's like a sort of... you a, Almost a sort of like Monday quarterbacking. It's like, well, don't you know the studios did this or this is all because the studio's been interfering. It's like, studios have been interfering with movies since the dawn of Hollywood. <laughs> that's, that's the only reason studios put out movies is right. because they get to interfere with them. Right. Now, you can argue about the type of interference and whether or not there's such a thing as too much meddling, but no. When you invest money into a product, I got news for you. You get a right to say something. Hmm. Now, for better or make... for worse, it is the reality. Right. Now, you can make the argument of the people who say something have less knowledge than the people who used to get to say something. That's fair. I think hmm. the people who run Hollywood today have less of an idea how stories and movies work than the people who, than the uh, than the early studio head back in the quote unquote golden days yeah. of Hollywood. And, and I don't feel like either of us is coming anywhere near making the point that those kinds of discussions of backstage jockeying and and how the sausage gets made shouldn't be talked about. Right. But that is a different kind of discussion than a review, and I do right. think those two things generally should be separate, although I qualify that because I qualify everything. Right. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, when I ask people about Justice League, I get theories about what happened behind the scene. It's like, I don't give a shit about that. I'm asking what you thought mm. of the movie. And, like, now uh, everyone is playing like they're the, like they're the next Vanity Fair scoop. <laughs> Which like, is interesting because... I mean, maybe it's because of how bad the situation was that led to Whedon, like, right. coming in. But I, I, I don't care. <laughs> I don't. What, I don't care about tagging whose scenes for whose scenes or, or whose ideas for what because like, it's a movie that hangs together sloppily but sloppily well. Well, it's a thing of <laughs> we didn't do this for Thor. Like even Thor had some behind the scene drama. Sure. But we never we never went around going well. This is purely something Marvel wanted to do and not something Watiti wanted to do. Yeah, we, uh, we like we don't do it for good movies. We do it for movies we don't like. Like there's no. Yeah, it's it's used I know as like an excuse. I know it's talk about logic when talking about art, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, the logic logic is just making arguments that string together one after the other in a way that makes sense. Like we can right. we can do that with art. It's just that <laughs> the, at the end of the day, it starts with subjective observation. <laughs> but I think that, uh, that you make a very good point. Like. The bigger the movie it is, especially when it's part of a franchise, the less allowed it is to be something of its own right. Mm. I, I see a lot of times when people discuss Marvel movies, or even DC movies, or even Star Wars movies, they are discussed in, in so much of how they are ranked comparatively to the other movies. Yeah. Uh, Pixar movies themselves also are like this. So there's a bar that Pixar is set. And so, so oftentimes, um, there are people who love Coco but don't think it's great because compared to other great Pixar movies it's not as groundbreaking oh uh, yeah that makes sense and it's like you have I... to judge the movie on it's own merits and Coco oh, is a wonderful that... movie 
that that retroactively reminded me of one of my other favorite bad movies or at least other people say that it's bad um and i think they're lying and trying to like screw with my brain okay. uh but john carter <laughs> i i absolutely love everything about the movie john carter and <laughs> sorry you you mentioned pixar and the the andrew stanton connection well like, here's brought the thing. that back to mind i think this because it feeds into something else Marketing is more important now, arguably, than it's ever been before. And oh, yet we have a culture of film lovers who, while are marketing savvy, are absolutely blind to how much of marketing is designed to fool and lie to you. Yeah. <laughs> like, the amount of times I hear people complain that the, the scene was in the trailer, but it's not in the movie, and that pisses me off. I'm like, why? <laughs> why? It's a fucking trailer! <laughs> It's, it's meant oh. to get you into the theater. It's not meant. What? It's it's a fucking trailer. It is, not, it is not a contract with you in terms of the exact scenes you will see. Right. It's like I'm like when people are like don't you get mad? I'm like no. Why? Because I'm a fucking grown up and I understand. <laughs> the trailer doesn't mean shit. It is mainly oh. there to get. Oh hey Jim, I you know this 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 movie. Oh hey look, there's that movie. Yeah. Does it look yeah. good? Yeah. I mean, you can make there. There is such a thing as a great or a terrible trailer, right. but I don't think that has anything to do with what's in the mo- like whether or not every scene from the trailer is in the movie, right. or whether they use the same line read or whatever. Because that's something that just because of the way my brain works, I pick up all the time. Right. But it doesn't bother me. I just have pattern recognition like reflex. Well, like this movie failed because the marketing was bad. That's a valid argument. At the same which is time, exa- which is by the way exactly what happened with John Carter because it's a fucking exactly. Good movie. At the same time, there's also a thing of like, well, <laughs> if the, if you're so savvy, how will you? How did the marketing fail you? <laughs> like, uh... there's only like, if the marketing failed, how do you market this? Like, I just like, I don't know. Like, I think we focus too yeah. much on the marketing aspect and like. It's clear, and also, like, this is the problem. The trailers are designed not by people who made the movie. So yeah, that's, that's something that's a like a lot of people, a lot of people, and even me up until fairly recently, it was only the last few years that I really like finally looked into the the weird disconnected process for how trailers are made. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are, there are like exceptions to that. If I recall, um, one of the other things I always love to mention, Guardians of the Galaxy. If I recall, James Gunn cut the trailers for that, or at least he right. had a pretty strong hand in it. The um, DC, I believe, has an uh, WB. I believe, like, has an in-house trailer company. But, but the yeah, majority so many trailers of trailers are, are by... made in the most bizarre, backwards manner. And hmm. <laughs> which like most people, of the people like who third make parties trailers... compete to make trailers for movies that they haven't seen all of. Haven't seen of, and are basically the constructing. An ad for a trailer based on things they are told the movie is about. So yeah. it's like when people tell me the trailer lied to them, like n- more than likely the person who made the trailer was lied to long before uh, honestly, you were. I think this would be a great, I think this would be a great full episode discussion for a later date. Is talking movie trailers? <laughs> uh, we have, we we we'll look into that. But as of right now, we are heading into the home stretch, and we're running out of time. Yeah, the cruel uh, yolk I, of time pulls us back into the, the train of thought that we so often wander from. <laughs> but I think <laughs> what I think what we need to the point of all this was we need to not be so hard on movies that are only trying to entertain us. Yeah. Not movies should not 
and are not all trying to be Citizen Kane. By the way, not even my favorite Orson Welles movie. No, F is for not. fake. Um, <laughs> movies really are under no requirement to be about anything. Uh. And I find the Ratatouille quote at the end about how movies that critics hate the most are often re- revered more by the audience than them. And that's true a lot of times. Casablanca was not yeah. popular when it came out and now is considered to be one of the better movies ever made. I mean, I get a little bit I get a little bit needly and paranoid about like dumping on like seemingly dumping on critics in that way for I guess self-interested reasons. But but I do get the sentiment. Like that there is there are important distinctions like you said way earlier about how how critics approach movies versus how audiences do and all that right. stuff. And because... I think yeah, it comes down to that idea of art uh, of like artistic approach versus fun whether right. those have to be separate they don't have to be they can be mingled you can just go fun you can just go art like we need more art, diverse film experiences yeah and that too if you pay a hundred dollars to see a movie and it's fun that's all matters <laughs> yeah we're, we're 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 easing up on that time right how much how much do movie tickets cost there on the west coast like 60 70 bucks uh at the theater <laughs> uh well let's see la live it's about 17 dollars yeah, it's about Oof. sixteen or seventeen dollars at a lot of places. Dude, I'm hit. I'm hitting six dollar Tuesdays. You can suck it. <laughs> there are six dollar Tuesdays, or like eight dollar Wednesdays. They have stuff like that. Uh, uh but, but yes, no. I I think we we just need to have a diversity of approaches to movies. Well, that that goes back to when you when you go in to see a movie, you have to be cognizant of what it's trying to do. You have to engage with the movie, and you have yeah. to allow the movie to wash over you. Allow the right. movie I, to play with you. I love Cadbury that cream eggs. I do sorry. not judge all food off of its similarity to Cadbury cream eggs. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> and with that, we must say goodbye. Please review and rate us on iTunes. Is how we move up. Um, please listen to the other podcasts that we have on the Phantom List, such as Ladies First, such as the Phantom. Uh, I just love the fundamentalists. On the batch book snobbery, the fundamentals. The fundamentalists. Sorry, I suck at this. <laughs> uh, without further ado, I, that's all we have time for. Say goodbye, Fed. Uh, yes. Farewell. Go and watch something that is terrible and beautiful. Or just go watch Buckaroo Bonsai, which is just beautiful. Which is only beautiful and the best thing ever. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>